Hey folks, welcome to the Dark Horse Podcast live stream. I now know for sure it's episode 115. I can surmise just by staring at it that 115 isn't going to be prime. Right. I right. mean, not even close, really. And we're coming to you 20 hours late. Sorry about that. Um, and let me before I forget, top of the hour, uh, we're not going to be here next week. We may sneak in a, an extra episode somewhere, but we will not be here next weekend. Yep, but I should say before we get any further, uh, congratulations. We have accomplished something substantial. We are, well, no, we have half accomplished something substantial. We are more than halfway through winter. This is true. Which is wild. I mean, you know, we've gone around the corner. It's uh, warming up. The days are getting longer. It's uh, it's quite something. Yeah, this is this is the time um, in the season where the the photo period is palpably changing daily. Like the the days are getting longer, and here in the Pacific Northwest, we've had uh, a couple of just completely glorious spring like days, which does does a lot to help with with the mood, even when the rest of the world seems very dark. And of course, what is happening. Um, in Ottawa also does a lot to help with the mood. We continue to hear, and we'll be talking um, a, a little bit, a little bit about this today. But really, um, just continue to encourage people. We've been hearing, we've been hearing from people there. Um, I will continue to post about it on on my Substack on Natural Selections. And um, what is what is happening um, in Canada with the Freedom Convoy, Truckers for Freedom? It's going by a lot of different names. I think, you know, history has not yet decided what it will go down as. But um, the legacy media's take on it uh, seems to be being disbelieved by more and more people, as so far as I can tell. It is demoralizing to see the, the absurdities that they are spouting continue to be spouted. But... Uh, there are now many, many people who are live streaming from Ottawa. I've mentioned Viva Fry here before, and uh, I think he's he's the biggest, and he's just extraordinary at what he does. There are a lot of people doing it, also from the Ambassador Bridge, and going there and watching just the footage on the ground of what people are experiencing and who these people are is is it's beyond heartwarming. That's just that's a, such a triviality. This is. Um, humanity in action. This is democracy in action, but that's too small. This is sort of the best of what humanity can bring. I think. Yes, it's great. And it is also marvelous that the authoritarians appear not to have considered that there would come a day when people would start waking up to their bullshit. And so they keep doubling down and, you know, uh, Trudeau, bless his heart, says <laughs> really fascistic sounding stuff. And you can just kind of read it there. You can say, huh, gee, I wonder if these are the good guys. They don't really sound like the good guys. And the fact that, you know, we have armed police descending on the bridge, um, <clears throat> you know, it's all pretty. The, the ambassador bridge between uh, Windsor, Ontario and Detroit, Michigan. Yeah, yeah. it's mm -hmm. quite clear who the... Um, who the good guys are in this case. And uh, anyway, it's also amazing that this is an international movement, this rebellion against the authoritarian instincts of um, our various federal governments is, it's it's important. Yes, indeed. Uh, just keep talking for a minute. Right. All right. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I'm going to keep talking about, uh, well... <clears throat> Oh boy, I'm not gonna be able to find it. Um, someone uh, in my my Twitter feed. I don't, I don't like to go do that very often, but um, posted an excellent response with regard to sort of you know who who are the good guys here, and I could summarize it, but I was hoping to 
to find it, and I'm not finding it. So, um. Well, here's the thing. <clears throat> it just so happens that this week, the universe has delivered us a completely unambiguous signal about who the good guys aren't, and we are going to go there. So to the extent that people may be a little bit hazy on this concept, by the end of this broadcast, you will no longer be hazy because they have effectively announced we are not the good guys. Indeed. Um, all right. So just logistics before we before we continue on on content for today's show. Uh, we are streaming as as usual on both YouTube and Odyssey, and Odyssey is where the chat is. If you are here live with us, you can ask questions for the second hour, which we'll be doing after we're done here now at darkhorsesubmissions.com. Uh, we never get to all the questions, but we encourage you to ask them, and we get to as many as we can. Uh, you may uh, consider joining us at our Patreons. We had, uh, Brett had um, your conversations for your Patreons last weekend, and they were as usual. Spectacular. Yeah. Spectacular. Amazing how many really interesting people show up. And uh, I know the purpose of these conversations is not for me to learn stuff, <laughs> but I do every time. Uh, it's it's like a really good uh classroom environment there it is like right right there right and that and that indeed is one of the distinctions between what um so many people are craving and what i believe uh we were doing both in the classrooms and are trying to do here and what the legacy institutions are informing us that we absolutely need to sit down and, and be responsive to uh both the the you know public health officials wielding their scientific credentials and uh the educational system saying sit down shut up receive the wisdom and you know, then unto you shall be you know educated or public health or whatever it is and uh, of course, that's not that's not the way you get educated. That's not the way science works. That's not the way a democracy sh democracy should work. And that's not how humans uh, wander around their worlds trying to make it better for other people and themselves uh, by simply taking in information, not questioning it, and uh, accepting it, and and having it add to what amounts to an ideology as opposed to a working model of how the universe works and how they should behave. So. Um, yeah, what you describe as your Patreon conversations uh, is, you know, it, it's funny that you, you know, that you have to almost apologize or that you felt compelled to say, well, you know, it's not, it's not for me because these are people showing up and, and, you know, in this case, paying some money, just like with college education, right? You're showing up, you're paying some money, um, therefore it's not supposed to be for the professors. But for God's sake, if the professors aren't learning something from the interaction, then it's probably not much of an education, is it? Yeah, that's <clears throat> absolutely right. And although it was not my plan, I uh, would like to revisit this question mm -hmm. about how education should work in light of MDM. And I realize most of you don't know what MDM is, but you're going to know. I don't think I do. Right. You don't, do All you? All right. Right. You're going to be amazed. But I think if we take the MDM taxonomy, and I'm not saying MSM, mainstream media, we all got that one. Right? Are you going to remember this or should I be taking notes? Uh, you don't have to take notes. We'll that's take it. mental notes. You take mental notes. Uh, done. Okay. Okay. So when we return to the MDM taxonomy, we can map it on to the very high quality model of education that we have just discussed and, you know, take it out for a spin. All right. We'll, we'll be spinning it. Yep. Um, we have, as usual, if you're interested in Dark Horse merchandise or direwolves or epic tabbies or digital book burnings, uh, that stuff is available at store.darkhorsepodcast.org. Uh, as I mentioned already, Natural Selections, my substack, which is at naturalselections.substack.com, 
Um, I haven't had nearly as much this week as last week, but this week I did post um, some of the remarkable portraits uh, that a Canadian photographer by the name of Dana Ponte, boy, he and I have been in a lot of conversation. I'm not actually sure I'm pronouncing his name correctly. I, I hope I am, Dan. Um, I posted some of the remarkable portraits that he took uh, on the second Saturday of the Truckers Convoy of the Truckers for Freedom uh, protests in um in Ottawa, which I've now begun to hear people calling an um, an occupation in mm-hmm. in a in a in a good way, like this is you know this we're here, we are here, and we're going to stay here until the mandates go away, and that's and that is part of what we'll be coming back to after we do our ads and such here. Well, I feel like occupation actually is a little bit like I think the term woke. Right. Mm. Some of us were not sure what to call the woke revolution back when people typically called it uh, social justice warriors. Mm -hmm. Right. Because social justice warriors is pejorative. And if you want to just simply say this thing fails on its merits, I don't need to, you know, I don't need to label it badly in order to reveal how broken it is. The point is woke Mm. is a term that's actually viewed positively inside the movement. And those of us on the outside can use that term and say, look, this is nonsense. It's not what woke used to mean. And I think occupation you know, I've seen a, a lot of a battling around. It doesn't strike me as negative because, of course, you know, uh, I will speak for myself. I was part of the Occupy movement, which became an absurdity. But it yeah. started out as a legitimate complaint about the TARP program and the financial collapse of 2008 and what it revealed about corruption. And the point was occupation was a method when we didn't mm. have a method to get the attention of the government and say, actually, this is unacceptable. You can't do this to us. Right, too big to fail is an excuse to bail out people who caused this, and it's falling on our backs. Occupation was the method, and mm. yep. I must say yep. I'm um, <clears throat> excited to see that occupation has been um, upgraded mm-hmm. by clearly, <clears throat> clearly working class people um, who have a legitimate gripe with the federal government, which has obviously captured the imagination of many, many millions of people, not just in Canada, but across the globe. So, Indeed. And this is part of where we'll be going yep. shortly. Um, an invitation to web developers out there. We are looking for one, someone who is um, you know, hopefully beyond competent, uh, who is both creative and technically skilled, and who can potentially build some sites for us uh, such that we can then uh, do uh, updates and maintenance on them ourselves or um, or have someone else do that on our behalf. Uh, anything you want to add to that before I... And so uh, we encourage you to send um, your information along with links to some of your work to darkhorsemoderator at gmail.com. Do you want to add anything? <clears throat> Sorry. The reason we delayed yesterday's podcast is I have had a uh, a, gluten reaction, a cough, which I think owes to a big hit of gluten that I accidentally ingested. Um, Anyway, it's much better than it was, but I will try not to cough through the broadcast. But yes, I would say in looking for this uh, web developer, we're looking for somebody who um, has skills enough to take what we're looking for and figure out how to problem solve around these things. So there are obviously lots of people who can put up a web page, but it needs to be a web page that we can modify, that we can uh, make specific requests and, and uh, 
um, that you have the skill to, to uh, bring it into reality rather than to force what we're looking for into uh, some mode that you have experience yeah. building. And we're looking for a few. So this could be an ongoing uh, relationship that was beneficial to, to all, hopefully. All right. Um, so then without further ado, we will bring you our three sponsors for the week. As usual, we are grateful for them. Uh, they help provide um, a, a serious financial buffer for us in an era when um, there is deplatforming and demonetizing going on all over the place. So we are, uh, we are grateful for their support of us and their enthusiasm for what we're doing. Okay, our first, our first sponsor for the week, first of three, is Soul, a sustainable orthopedic footwear company. Soul is one of two footwear sponsors that we have, and we love them both. They are quite different from one another, while both being focused on creating shoes that help feet get and stay healthy and people become more mobile. Our other sponsor, Vivo Barefoot, specifically aims to give you the sense of being barefoot in your shoes, hence the name. Sole, S-O-L-E, with both their shoes and their footbeds, brings structure back with intention, uh, which may well be a, a better move on specifically hyper-novel environments like the concrete and asphalt that so many of us are mostly working on, uh, working on, walking on. Um, Sole aims with its footwear to return our feet to health, and the shoes by Sole are beautiful. So let's create a footbed that is affordable, customizable, and improves people's everyday foot comfort. Furthermore, they've created their own recycling program, Recork, to collect and upcycle wine corks to make its products. Millions of customers rave about the product, and two-thirds of Soul customers have two or more pairs of footbeds. Our two boys are wearing these shoes so much of the time now. They take some getting used to. The structure under the arch is unusual, uh, but once you get used to them, they provide great support for feet. They, they really do. I, I'm wearing a pair, too. Um, and again, they look great. So sole shoes look terrific, but if you're just looking for footbeds to make shoes you already own be healthier for your feet, try the footbeds. Also, they make a flip-flop that isn't a flip-flop. So if you're a fan of a shoe like I am that you can quickly slip on to step outside if it's wet or dirty, but don't want the downsides of a flip-flop, being slippery, having to grip with your toes to stay in it, which is not good for your feet, then this is the shoe for you. Soul has an amazing offer for first-time customers of 50% off through yoursoul.com slash darkhorse so you can try Soul for yourself. That's Y-O-U-R-S-O-L-E dot com slash darkhorse. They are so confident that you will love them. They also offer a 90-day money-back guarantee. It's very hard to go wrong with that offer. And this offer is applicable to all items on the Soul store, be it footbeds or <coughs> footwear. All right, number all two. All right, number two. Our second sponsor is Ned. No, not Ned the Dude. Ned is a CBD company that stands out in a highly saturated CBD market. Ned <clears throat> was started by two friends who discovered that their hypermodern lives were leaving them feeling empty, bewildered, and disconnected. Something about, uh, something about this way of life, they say on their website, just wasn't working. So they started Ned. You can buy CBD products in nearly every coffee shop, grocery store, but Ned's blends stand out. Their de-stress blend in particular really impressed us. Ned's de-stress blend is a one-to-one -one formula of CBD and CBG made from the world's purest full-spectrum hemp and also features botanical infusion, oh goodness, uh, ashwagandha, ashwagandha. I think you got it. Of, I think I got it. Yeah. Uh, ashwagandha, cardamom, cinnamon. CBG is known as the mother of all cannabinoids because of how effective it is 
at combating anxiety and stress by inhibiting the reuptake of GABA, GABA, the neurotransmitter responsible for stress regulation. I will say that reading about this does induce stress. The product itself does not. <laughs> Sounds like what you need, isn't it? Uh, well, <clears throat> too late. All right. Many of the CBD companies out there source their hemp from industrial farms in China. Just like uh, with low-quality alcohol, however, low-quality CBD can have undesired effects. NED is USDA certified organic. All of NED's full-spectrum hemp oil is extracted from USDA-certified organic hemp plants grown by an independent farmer named Jonathan in Paonia, Colorado. <clears throat> also, NED shares a third shares third-party lab reports and information about who farms their products and their extraction process on their site, so you can read about it. These products are science-backed, nature-based solutions that offer an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. They are chock full of premium CBD and a full spectrum of active cannabinoids, terpenes, flavonoids, and trichomes. Ned's full-spectrum hemp oil nourishes the body's systems to offer functional support for stress, sleep, inflammation, and balance. If you'd like to give Ned a try, Dark Horse listeners get 15% off Ned, uh, Ned products with the code DARKHORSE. Um, <clears throat> visit helloned.com slash darkhorse to get access. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D dot com slash darkhorse to get 15% off. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. Our third sponsor for today is Relief Band, a product that can help with nausea. First, though, a little bit about nausea. As we've talked about before, under ancient circumstances and some modern ones, nausea was generally a useful signal that something is off. You had eaten something you shouldn't have or were near something emanating a bad smell, itself a signal that you should not get near it. We talk about this actually a bit in Hunter-Gatherer's Guide. In modernity, we still need to track our bodily sensitivities. We should not always choose to simply erase discomfort like nausea whenever we feel it. That said, some of modernity creates nausea that does no good at all. Travel sickness, for instance, can be agonizing and relief would be lovely. Enter Relief Band. Relief Band is an anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to relieve and prevent nausea associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, chemotherapy, and more. Relief Band is 100% drug-free and can be used for as long as you need it. Developed over 20 years ago, it is the only over-the-counter wearable device that has been used in hospitals and oncology clinics to treat nausea and vomiting. There are zero side effects. And now there's Relief Band Sport as well, which is waterproof, features interchangeable bands, and has extended battery life. We asked a friend to try it out. Here is her testimonial. Quote, I used to have nausea on a near daily basis from both anxiety and the need to take regular medication. Relief Band relieves my nausea in less than three minutes without the side effects I was experiencing from anti-nausea meds. It has entirely changed my life for the better. End quote. So if you've got nausea from anxiety or car or seasickness or something else that you cannot otherwise disable, consider Relief Band. Relief Band makes a great gift for any time of year. Right now, they've got an exclusive offer just for Dark Horse listeners. Go to reliefband.com and use promo code DARKHORSE to receive 20% off, plus free shipping, and a no-questions-asked 30-day money-back guarantee. That's R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com, and use our promo code DARKHORSE for 20% off, plus free shipping. That's our sponsors for the day. You know, I never used to have car sickness, but as I get older, I find that I do. I'm just totally sick of cars. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think this will help with that. It, uh, I think it's I think that's a shame. I think that's different. That's different. Yeah, yeah I think not driving could help. Maybe you should put one of the bands around the car. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I think I heard Zach groaning with appreciation for your comment. <laughs>
Maybe appreciation, maybe <laughs> exasperation. Could be, could be. Yeah, one of one of the you just don't know when you've got a when you've got an amazing teenage producer. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Here we are. Um, as always, these days there are practically an infinite number of places we could go, and so we will miss many of the things, even that we had decided we really wanted to cover, no doubt. But I was thinking maybe we start by talking about what you and I are both seeing, um, but have somewhat different perspectives on, although I don't think that they are um, incompatible perspectives. I think we are just um, kind of filing them differently. Uh, with regard to the, the, the creation, explicit really, creation of tears in society. So um, I've been... I've been alarmed, frankly. I mean, and it, part of this is just obvious. Much of the reason that there is so much pushback against vaccine mandates by the vaxxed and unvaxxed alike is that many people are seeing accurately that this has created a society in which some people have access to all of the things that we have always had access to and some of us do not. And that this creates, um, this, this creates a, um, an opening and indeed an opening that many in the media are eagerly pushing as many people through as they will take to uh, suggest that those of us who are therefore excluded by virtue of mandates are, are dirty, are carriers of disease, are less worthy, are perhaps not quite up to the challenge of being full participants in democracy even. And uh, for, for those of you who would suggest that's hyperbole, just wait till we get to what Brett has to bring to you. <clears throat> but... Um, I will say that the thing that is, um, and it's not the most alarming thing because what you're going to talk about is the most alarming thing, but the, the two-tiered society is that, that is happening all around us, that uh, you know, the city that we live in, Portland, Oregon, does not have uh, mandates in place. Uh, you know, we, there, are, there are many restaurants where we can still go. Um, but there are many that we can't. Whereas in cities like New York, New York City and Los Angeles and Seattle and many others, uh, I am sure, but those are the places where I know people who are there, who are, uh, who are you know, good, honest people who have accepted the vaccine <coughs> mandates without hardly looking at what it means. And so I personally have been encouraged um, to come to these cities and just be there and, you know, enjoy the fruits of, I don't know, enjoy the cultural offerings of the cities and the, the people. And this is many, many people. I'm, I'm not pointing my finger at anyone in particular, but there are many people at this point who um, have not even realized that I'm not invited. Like they can invite me. But having gotten there, I would not be able to do any of the things that you would want to do in a city. The city is announcing that you are not welcome. Right. And that's the vaccine mandate side of it. The part that is so alarming to me is how many people, even people with you know, recent history in their families of having been through the introduction of a two-tiered society in which people became dirty and untouchable and unmentionable and then not there, can't see this for what it is, feel that it is at best a minor inconvenience, a, a fly buzzing around that, yes, uh, it's un that's unfortunate, but... 
And it is this, it is this, I don't know if it's an inability to notice or an unwillingness to notice, but a not noticing of the thing that is happening in front of us, which is part of why so many of us are utterly thrilled that the truckers and their supporters and their allies in Ottawa (coughs) and at Coates and at the Ambassador Bridge in Canada are holding the line, are there on behalf of so many of us saying no to mandates, no to mandates. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful thing for many reasons. For one thing, the hypocrisy couldn't be made more obvious by anybody other than truckers, right? The truckers who were heroes, you know, have now become villains because they're standing up for just simple rights. And the idea that this thing will pivot on you and if you are, you know, keeping civilization afloat, then they will hold you up as a hero, but then they won't even listen to you, right? It's like what we do to veterans. Yep. Where we beckon them into, you know, national service fighting on our behalf. And then we pretend that they're not sick with what they're sick with. And we abandon them when it comes to taking care of them once they get home. And <clears throat> that hypocrisy, you know, I, I detest it as I know you do. Um, but it is very revealing to the extent that it allows us to see who we're dealing with. That mm-hmm. they, they weren't serious about these being heroes. They are heroes. But, mm-hmm. but the point is that was cynical. And this is cynical. And... It is important that we recognize um, who these folks are. It reveals, and and later on I do want to talk about what it means, what the elite and the aspirational to the elite think working class means and what they think it looks like. And and, and, this has been said often, um, including by us, but the cynicism reveals the disdain. It reveals the disdain for the people who think that they're writing history, think that they're in charge uh, because they have, because they work in the quote unquote knowledge sector. <laughs> knowledge sector. My, <laughs> my God, the misinformation sector, perhaps. Uh, and there are, there are a tremendous number of people. And I dare say it's, if it's a minority, it's a giant minority, and I'm not certain it's a minority, who have their eyes wide open and who don't have the financial power, but are actually doing the work of society. And uh, at the point that they say enough, it is shocking to those who are actually contributing little beyond words, and most of those words aren't honest, to see them scramble and to see them tell lies. Well, and to see them reveal how little they understand about the world. Yeah. I don't know if you caught, um, I don't remember her name, but uh, Harvard professor was shouting this week on Twitter about how the obvious solution to the bridge problem was to slash their tires and <laughs> drain their gas tanks and then remove the trucks. And <laughs> this revealed okay, a yes. complete failure uh, to understand what would be necessary to remove the trucks in the first place. Um, among other things, the high pressure in those tires would make that a particularly dangerous activity. Okay, but I, I guess I want to say, you know, both how perfect it is that it's a Harvard professor, but I fear that this, you know, all of our understanding that, you know, the ivory tower really is a tower out of which people like to peer. And, uh, you know, what made us different as professors was that we insisted on not doing that. 
and it made us unfathomable to many of our peers, um, but also actually education, educating students and approachable and interacting with um, the people with whom um, we were supposedly, you know, in a power relationship with, right? Um, so I would say it's not just the people at Harvard, right? It's, it's you know, it's not just with, with regard to the, if, if we're just limiting this to the academics, how, you know, how confused most of the people in academia are, um, it's it's not just the elite institutions. Uh, it's it's everywhere. This thing is everywhere. This belief in I have this terminal degree, just which you know just means you know, I could mean a lot of things. Yeah, it could mean a lot of things. <laughs> I'm afraid it you've got a mean, case of terminal yeah, degree. They, it's a degree that will cause you to be so stupid it could end your life. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, yeah, in academia, when we say that, we just mean it's the last degree that you can that is offered in that field. So uh, you know, in general, it's a PhD, but it could be an MD or a or, or a JD as well, a law degree, um, or I mean, I guess an MFA, maybe a terminal degree as well, Masters of Fine Arts, because there's no PhD in fine arts. Anyway, I digress. Um, those people who have gone as far as they can in school and gotten their terminal degree, the last degree that they can possibly get, um, often just run to more school because it's the only thing they know. And because school wasn't about educating or knowledge of the world, uh, that means that what they then feed to the next generation is is even more limited. Like this partially explains the like narrowing and narrowing and narrowing and less and less relevant and um, actually mind expanding and eye opening version of higher ed that we're seeing. That people are not just being canalized into ever more specialized fields, um, but they they look around and go like, well, I don't understand what's going on out there. The wind, wow, nature is complex. And you know the, the actual interactions with people how about I just categorize them as, I don't know, deplorables or Nazis or whatever it is, and go back to my little room where I can say that all you need to do is slash the trucker's tires and we'll solve this problem. Well, it's hilarious. This it's was not hilarious, and it is. <laughs> this, yeah. this was obvious to us when we were working academics, right? Yeah. You could walk into a faculty meeting and you could ask yourself the question, how many people in this room actually know something that would be good for students if they were to pick it up, right? Yep. And, you know, it was not a high enough percentage to make sense of a, a college or university. You, you, you know that I, 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 I adopted a bar for how what you should ha what you should have in order to be qualified to teach college students. Yes. And it was a really low bar. It was two things. You should, it's kind of three things maybe. Maybe it's a slightly higher bar than I thought. You should know something real that you can communicate. And I thought of those as one thing. Know something real that you can communicate and fundamentally believe in the humanity of your students. And the number of academics I've met who fail on one or all of those fronts is astounding. Utterly astounding. And even if you think, oh, well, they do, they know something real, and they, they're kind of dynamic as a lecturer, well, get them behind closed doors where you can't, where the students can't hear them. And the kind of talk that goes on is, it's horrifying. Yeah. And you know what? People can feel this. Just like people who are actually working class, actually doing work that needs to be done, can feel the disdain dripping off the legacy media and the academics and the elites in government and public health, so too can students in a classroom feel when their professors have no respect for them at all. And they don't show that. The students know better than to not show it, but it's a, it's a big theatrical game. I also adopted a bar <clears throat> that I would go to after faculty meetings in order to try to 
shake it off, you know, a pint yeah. and yeah, go you, a long you, way. You didn't, but that's you could have. Well, okay. yeah. Um, <clears throat> but yes, it's a it's a fascinating it's a fascinating puzzle. But I think it also, you know, if you go back to your original point about look, I don't I don't really want to go to New York. New York is broadcasting. I am not welcome mm-hmm. uh, for phony reasons of my being a hazard to somebody, right. which I am not. Right, and of right. course, this does unavoidably allude to, you know, Juden Frey and uh, all sorts of um, uh, historical circumstances that we now understand clearly in retrospect. Um, But I also think it is it is worth understanding how we got here. Yeah, right. And how we got here means how you and I got here. Mm-hmm. And it also means how those people who don't understand that they're inviting you to a city that is broadcasting you are not welcome, don't see it, right? Yeah. Because what happened to us as our longtime uh, watchers and listeners will know, is that at the beginning of the uh, the vaccine campaign, you and I were alarmed by the fact that the public health authorities were saying these things are safe and effective. And mm-hmm. we knew there is no way they could know they are safe. Mm-hmm. It might turn out that they were harmless, but it's not safe because they couldn't say anything about the long-term impacts. Nobody on earth could. And so to tell us there's no risk here when we can tell there's no way you could know there's no risk was alarming. Out of the starting gates, we know you're lying to us. Maybe the lie has no effects, but the fact that you are doing that right away tells us we can't trust what you say. Right. And people will remember the example that if you walk into a room and there's a gun on the table and you put it to your head and you pull the trigger and it goes click, was it harmful? No. Was that a safe activity? Absolutely not. Right. Right. And so the point is those two things are distinct. We all know what they mean if we think carefully about it. And you and I were alarmed. And that caused Mm -hmm. us to delay Mm -hmm. what we thought we were going to do, which was get vaccinated. But the point is, let's give this some time and see if anything emerges that suggests this isn't a good idea. Mm -hmm. And then those things did emerge. Now, many people, understandably, did what one does in light of a vaccine that they are told has passed safety tests is useful in fending off a disease that we know is dangerous, and they got vaccinated quickly. Well, and I think more to the point, they were told that if you do this and enough of your countrymen do this, everything goes back to normal. You get your lives back. And that was clearly never going to happen. Um, And I don't know if it if it actually would have happened had these been the safe and effective treatments that we were told they were. And presumably, hopefully, no one knew how not safe and not effective they were uh, at, at the time we were being told that. But um, <clears throat> it was not it was not just, oh, the public health authorities tell me to do this, therefore I'm doing it. It wasn't it wasn't that kind of acquiescence. It was also a a desperate need to return to people's lives and people bought it people people believed because they needed to believe because they were done being in lockdown and being kept from each other and being scared of a thing they couldn't see they had they were convinced they convinced themselves that this was the panacea this was going to be the thing they believed because it was inconceivable that they would be lied to in this way Many thought they were being lied to as a matter of noble lies, but it was inconceivable that somebody was going to misrepresent these things at this level. But I, I, think, <clears throat> I think you and I are saying two different things, and I think they're both true. But uh, what I'm saying is not about the lie, whether or not, whatever it was. It is about... So I, I, it's about why I, people wanted to believe. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think this is actually... So you know, we're, we're going to get to what you want to talk about here with regard to the other kind of tier being created in society. Uh, and 
you know, the, the place where you and I, and again, I don't think it's that we aren't seeing things. Um, I don't think it's not that we're not seeing things eye to eye. It's that I think we have a fundamentally sort of like different first interest in the story. Um, and, you know, we're obviously does, you know, what does the science say? But I keep trying to figure out why are people behaving the way they are? Right. But- and, and, um, and the why are people behaving the way they are from, from talking to people? I can see how desperate they were to get their lives back and overlay that with the narrative of, well, this has to be true. I co- they couldn't possibly be lying to me at that at that level. But that's an overlay. That's a cover story. And what they were actually driven by, I feel certain many people was, just give me my fucking life back. Right, of course. Just, just give it back to me. <clears throat> okay. And, you know, and, and this, this language, and I, I think I was taken to task at one point here, not by you, but by the audience for say, for using that kind of language, just like, you know, give me my rights and, you know, give me my life back. No, I'm, I'm, I'm taking what is mine. You, well, you, you did not have the right to take this from me. In these the first are place. inalienable rights, right. right? That's why our constitution is special is it spells that out. These are your rights. And here mm. are the onerous requirements that the government has to reach in order to take them away from you. There's a reason it is structured that way. And yeah. And amazing that um, Canada, albeit much more recently, has something very similar in its constitutional charter. Right. Now, the the point I wanted to make about our friends who I think are having what is apparently a natural reaction where they are failing to notice that we, their friends, are not being welcomed by the city they live in because of some uh, absurd story about us being a hazard to people. Like, we all know enough about these vaccines that they fail to... Um, to prevent people from contracting this disease. They don't reduce viral load. They don't prevent you from passing it on. So the point is, on what basis are you actually not welcoming me? But but my point is, there is a process, which I am certain that the people engaged in manipulating us understand, in which if you have complied, even accidentally, you complied months ago because you thought you were going to get your life back for doing so, mm-hmm. and now you are in the state of having complied, that it is very hard to see those who are excluded by this thing, right? And so it is actually exactly parallel to the idea that when there is a structural bias in society, Mm -hmm. if you are on the winning end of it, you may not like the idea that there's a bias. You may not have put it there. You may not defend it. But the point is you are much less exercised about it than if you were on the losing side of it, right? Mm -hmm. And so I believe that this is where we are, that people have complied because it was because the inertia pointed in that direction, and now they are uh, surprisingly deaf to the fact that, you know, American cities differ in how welcome people are at restaurants based on whether or not they accepted an experimental medical treatment that we now know doesn't work to prevent contracting disease. Like, did I just say that sentence? Right. Right? Yeah. Okay. So you wanted to go somewhere beyond this yes uh so just maybe i mean i can set up like we we had uh, a disagreement we went um we went on a nice bike ride on friday um just as you were about to get hit by the gluten bomb um and on the way out there in, in the car ride we it was we did not start from our house as we normally would but we went out to a rails to trails and um i was talking about this two-tiered society and you said well it's really three-tiered and I end up 
disagreeing with you that this, I, I feel like these are two categorization schemes that can be mapped onto one another, but not a single categorization scheme. Um, but in that light, why don't you introduce? Well, I think, you know, <clears throat> I was alarmed because you were spreading malinformation. 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 Mm -hmm. Is that like malocclusion or somewhat different? Well, you know, it's interesting. I don't know. I know that it's a thing. Um, I was alerted to its being a thing this week by the federal government. Um, so anyway. Malinformation? Malinformation. That's what they're talking about now? Well, sure. Okay. Um, but we're going to need to look it up because- Oh, are we? Okay. Yeah. It's probably nothing. It's probably just a synonym for, you know, mis and disinformation, but it's good to check. You want me to do that? Well, yeah. Why don't you um, go to this- uh, I think uh, Heather's going to do it here. You want to? <clears throat> is it this one you want or the screen? other one? Um, is it the screen you want? Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so there's a lot of quiet now on, okay. on air while you're right. looking at this. I don't. I don't know what we're doing. We are going to this paragraph. Do, do you want him Can to you... put up my screen or not? Sure. Yes. Okay. No, we need it. Apparently, so I'm. We need to go I'm back. Not, I don't know what just happened. Okay. I don't okay. know what's happening. Can you read this paragraph? Which one? The one that starts while? The United States. The United States. So. So this is a Department of Homeland Security advisory that they put mm -hmm. out, I believe, on February 7th. Yep. Alerting us to a hazard to the homeland that we should all be aware of. And okay. I think we should start at paragraph three. There. Paragraph three reads, the United States remains in a heightened threat environment fueled by several factors, including an online environment filled with false or misleading narratives and conspiracy theories and other forms of mis, dis, and malinformation. Whoa. MDM. Introduced and or amplified by foreign and domestic threat actors. These threat actors seek to exacerbate societal friction to sow discord and undermine public trust in government institutions to encourage unrest, which could potentially inspire acts of violence. Mass casualty attacks and other acts of targeted violence conducted by lone offenders and small groups acting in furtherance of ideological beliefs and or personal grievances pose an ongoing threat to the nation. Okay, now notice that they... This is the first time I'm seeing this. This is terrorism oh. that they are talking about. Uh -huh. And their point is that there are foreign actors, oh yes, and domestic actors who are spreading mis, dis, and mal information. What the hell is mal information? Should I, should well, I well, we'll get there. there. Oh, okay. And um, <clears throat> these threat actors, terrorists, are in a position to create unrest by sowing the mis, dis, and mal information online which could potentially inspire acts of violence, mm -hmm. right? So that's an amazing, amazing That's threat. a lot of weak links. It's a lot of weak links. But, you know, maybe they're going to rescue it with malinformation, whatever that is. Maybe malinformation is the concept we have been waiting for in order to separate the terrorists from the rest of us. Let's see. Okay. So Here we go, Zach. <clears throat> We're back on this page at the... The issuance on February 7th of the National Terrorism Advisory System Bulletin. Now, they have very helpfully hotlinked mis-dis and malinformation. That's, that's where I am now. Now scroll down okay. and they will give you a taxonomy. So actually go down a little more. What is MDM? <clears throat> okay, so misinformation. Do you want me to read it? Yeah, would you read the definition of misinformation? Misinformation is false, but not created or shared with the intention of causing harm. So wait, some of these terrorists are guilty of spreading misinformation, but it's not in, 
intentionally misinformation. They're just kind of, you know, wrong. Doesn't this make both Walensky and Fauci terrorists? No, 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 no. Because they are part of the federal government that is deploying. Everybody knows that they're not terrorists. Come on. Anthony Fauci is a terrorist. Oh, there's an exclusionary clause in here somewhere. It's not really a clause, but it's kind of a come on, right? Oh, it's a come on. It. No, they're yeah. not. Right. Sure, sure, so sure, sure. basically yeah. what this does is it defines as terrorists. And actually we have no idea about their intentions. I have no idea. No, I think their intentions are good. Well, then that's it's mere misinformation that they have. Right. Yes. But but by the definition. So here, the science changes. We keep on being told now. Having right. been led down this idiotic primrose path to follow the science and a bunch of us in the beginning were like that's not how science works hello 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 and now they're saying well the science changes so at the point that the science changes how like what's the what's the period during which you're allowed to still be believing the past science before you convert to the future science before you are a purveyor of misinformation and therefore a terrorist you my dear are missing the glory of malinformation oh i'm not there yet you're not there yet. you have not understood that although it sounds preposterous that these people would be defining as terrorism Mm -hmm. the being mistaken and not realizing it and saying stuff out loud that didn't turn out to be true. That's misinformation. Sure, sure, sure. Let's go to the the disinformation. Yeah, yeah. Disinformation is deliberately created to mislead, harm, or manipulate a person, social group, organization, or country. Okay, so let me give you an example of uh, disinformation. Do. So let's say that the uh, Tide Corporation says that- You mean like like Procter & Gamble? I don't like, know who makes Tide, but but, but you're talking about the laundry detergent. Well, sure. Okay. Okay. Let's say, for example, that they I don't were, actually know if it's Procter. That yeah. they were to to say, no laundry detergent gets clothes brighter <laughs> than Tide. Right. Mm-hmm. Now the fact is, they might say that, and it might be true, but it's meant to mislead you. It's meant for you to hear that actually Tide gets clothes brighter than other detergents, when really what it says is maybe there's no difference between these detergents. They all kind of do the job, right? So all advertising. I think all advertising is is now terrorism, (laughs) Um, which, you know, I've always kind of felt that way about advertising. But um, anyway, but, you know, here's the problem. The rubber really meets the road. The whole taxonomy kind of, you know, so you've got people who are uh, unintentionally wrong about stuff. And so terrorists. here's the thing. Yeah. I, I'm just going to say it. I have been unintentionally wrong about stuff at what? various points in my life. I feel like I should have known this. I feel like you did know. Well, and okay. sometimes you're the person who points it out. But <laughs> in any case, that puts me squarely in the crosshairs of this. But, mm-hmm. you know, uh, frankly. Uh, Here's the thing, though. Yeah. Sometimes those shoes are on the other feet. Which hurts like hell. I'm also in the crosshairs. Shoes on the other feet in the crosshairs. It's a mixed metaphor, but we're going with it. Um, it was your crosshairs metaphor. Right, but they're yeah. my shoes. <laughs> I have also sometimes been wrong unintentionally, and you have been you the one have. to point it out. Okay, but here's <clears> the and thing. Therefore, so, I am also in the crosshairs. <clears throat> here's what I'm imagining. Many in our audience will also have been Who wrong Who do about terrorists them. could be so silly? That's the thing. You mm-hmm. do, they're sneaky, sneaky people. And, uh, you know, humor. We're going to get to humor, actually. But, but here's the point. Okay. Um, <clears throat> many in our audience mm-hmm. will have been wrong at various occasions, right? And do better. It, do better. Yeah. Right. Be wrong. I mean, not be even less, less because yeah. you don't want to really be a Play terrorist. better tennis while you're at it. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then, <clears throat> you know, disinformation, that does seem to cover not only advertising, but a huge fraction of comedy. Mm-hmm. You know, very Courtship also. Exa- <laughs> Uh-oh. What don't I know? <laughs> 
been a long time since we were courting. That's true. That's um, true. <clears throat> no, but uh, you know, a charm offensive, a make yourself look better than you. I mean, this is what <clears throat> you know. All all non-human organisms engage in disinformation. Right. Crypsis is disinformation, right? Crypsis. Oh God, you're right. Yep. So it's even non-human terrorists. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Right. No, um, <clears throat> yep. Okay, but the glory of this really has it has to be rescued by malinformation, a term that I think nobody until this memo had ever heard of, right? So it's got to be pretty good. It's so good. Let's say malinformation is based on fact, but used out of context to mislead, harm, or manipulate. You got it? Should I read the last three lines or should we just stick with that? I think we should. uh, Uh, That's the definition of the... uh, of the malinformation. So this is great so, because malinformation. I'm thinking about, uh, and indeed, I was I was just reminded of, I went back and looked at my fact checkers aren't scientists piece, which was my very first post on natural selections. And I walk through you, I think it was you and Robert Malone being fact checked mm-hmm. in PolitiFact, which is Facebook's fact checking arm. Just put that Right, like scientists don't belong to anyone; they're not supposed to if they're doing science. But fact checkers can belong to people. Okay, um, Politifact fact checked you, and I believe it was this claim that got a pants on fire rating uh, that the spike protein is toxic or cytotoxic. <clears throat> and uh, meanwhile, research out of Scripps, which Scripps's own PR department posited, said that. The spike protein is toxic. Yeah, the spike protein is toxic. It's toxic, but that, saying that, based <clears throat> on fact, so for a while, I'm like, no, it's not, no, it's not, no, it's not. And apparently, okay, it is, but that's malinformation, because how dare you talk about that here? Right, because- How dare you talk about because that Because what I was trying to do was raise people's awareness that the public health authority was misleading them about safety, and yep. the fact that I was- accurate is no defense because I'm still a terrorist because it doesn't matter that it's based in fact. Even true stuff is malinformation. That's the beauty of this definition is that the fact that it's true is no defense. Yeah. Right? How dare you say it? Yeah. It's... Okay. So misinformation is false. False, but accidentally but false. Accidentally false. Disinformation is 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 bad. <laughs> <laughs> but it includes crypsis and advertising and such uh, and courtship. A lot of it, uh, and but malinformation just includes uh, it, 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 malinformation is in even more than mis or disinformation in the eye of the beholder. That's the distinction, right? Malinformation is in the eye of the beholder, and when the eye, when the beholder is the government, and the government gets to behold you and make a claim about whether or not you're a terrorist, and this is its this is all it needs, then anyone. All of you, anyone at any time, can be declared to be engaging in terrorism. Anyone at any time. And that's just the beginning of the fun. Oh, good. Um, but let's go back <coughs> and map uh, this onto, for example, the teaching environment. Okay, let's okay. do it. So, for example, let me just point out that I, in teaching used all three of these techniques. I was sometimes wrong. Now, when Mm -hmm. I was wrong, somebody would sometimes raise a question that would reveal that I was wrong, and I would then correct what I had done. But I was still guilty of uh, information terrorism in my teaching. Let me just say that another way that happened uh, for both of us was um, 
we'd say something and no one would call us out because it wasn't, no one knew. And then we'd go back to our lives and go like, wait, mm, uh, okay, no, actually that wasn't right. And then we'd return of our own, of our own volition and say, that thing that I said was wrong. Correct your model. Yep. Okay. <clears throat> that's, that's, that would have been misinformation. Mis- misinformation. Mm, yeah. Right. In an educational um, environment. Right. Shame. Now I was actually voted misinformation in high school, as you'll recall. Back when you were a woman? Oh. Uh, no, I don't know why. I think they were making fun of me. But okay. um, but in any case, uh, another in, uh, educational environment in which misinformation was relevant, but I think two S's. Um, Dis- in any, yes. <laughs> disinformation. Mm-hmm. So I used to use disinformation as a teaching tool. Sometimes yeah. I would... Um, you would lead them down a path that you knew to be wrong. I would lead them down a path that I knew to be wrong. And I would do so while hinting with my eyebrows or whatever (laughs) that this was a good direction to go so that they would pick up steam. And then at the point they got someplace, I would start asking them questions like paradoxes that were raised by all of the stuff that they just signed on to. And the point is, stop listening to authority. Stop reading the social cues. Pay attention to what... Use your logic. Use your analytical and creative faculties in order to assess what is right, rather than paying attention to the social cues of the authority in front of the room. Great eyebrows, though he may have. (laughs) Some will argue eyebrow, but never mind. Um, But anyway, it was a very useful technique. One does it with humor. One does it with uh, generosity in their heart. Nobody Mm -hmm. ends up upset about it because it actually ends up educating them. And then malinformation. Of course, who doesn't use malinformation in their teaching? Because basically malinformation uh, are facts. And when you use facts like, let's say, the uh, Brett's flood scientific calamity, right? You teach about how science is a fallible process and how sometimes your heretics are actually right. And so anyway, all three of these are... Yeah. So, um, you know, to, again, malinformation, the definition out of the terrorism arm of the United States government, which I'm sure is not how they like to be referred, but uh, I think that's basically... Terroristic. No, I'm going to call it the terrorism arm. Okay. Um, (laughs) Malinformation is based on fact, but used out of context to mislead, harm, or manipulate. And, um, you know, A... Two, there's a lot hidden in two, like how do you know the intentions of, of the person? Um, but mislead ought, ought be perhaps a minor crime. Harm, we don't want people using um, facts to harm others, um, although obviously it's not s- as simple as all of that. But manipulate, to manipulate. What were you trying to do? I was trying to manipulate them because they're my students and I was trying to make them more educated so that they could see this sort of thing, this sort of tactic when it is done by people like you in the future and can be better immune to it. Thank you very much. How do you become immune to this sort of thing except by having been, having fallen prey to it in the environment that is actually safe? An right. actually safe environment in which, oh my God, I got duped by my professor who's got great eyebrows. How did that happen? <laughs> like, well, now you know. And now you're going to have to do it a number of times because, um, you know, we all too often, when, you know, when we've been duped once, we've been fooled once by the public health authorities or the professor or the whatever it is, we take that as the instantiating thing. Like that is, that is the generalized thing, right? And just had, I'm reminded of, um, this is going to seem like a, Non sequitur, but I'm reminded of being in Costa Rica um, 
the second time for us, but with a bunch of grad students and our professor. And we said something, and it was the first time for all the other grad students, but we'd, we had traveled through Central America on our own a few years earlier. And we said something about, well, when we were here before, the weather was. And uh, Professor Vandermeer, who we were there with, said, yeah, the first time you come to a place in the tropics, that's the weather system that you think no, holds. He said- that year is normal. Every year thereafter is not. Exactly. Yeah. That that's <clears throat> that's the thing that you then imagine is normal, and there is not a normal year afterwards. And you're always trying to track what happened. Like, well, what happened was you happened to arrive at that moment, and had you arrived at any other moment, you would think that was normal. So that you know, that's <clears throat> we need we need ourselves to be to expose ourselves to our own failings and and failed thinking multiple times because just doing it once means that that's the only thing that we look for and this is actually this is it's like people looking for jackbooted thugs for evidence of tyranny right i mean that's and that's the problem with with history as well we go oh well i know i know what tyranny looks like i i've i've seen the documentaries and <clears throat> no a that's not what it looked like as it showed up and also, it will never look exactly the same. Right. You have to familiarize yourself with multiple kinds. And by the way, at the point that you've got some number of people in society who aren't allowed to participate and are being slandered as dirty and evil and not up to the job, that's tyranny coming. That is what it is. Right. And <clears throat> basically what's protecting them is that they have learned not to goose step or put skulls on their helmets this time. Right. right. We, we're, yeah. we're watching it didn't take much. tyranny. But you know, right. if that sounds like an exaggeration, we'll, we'll get to the next part. But yeah. oh, um, yeah. we're going to give you links to this memo. Sure. I would encourage people to click around this site. We go down to the uh, you resources. Want, you want Zach to be showing the yeah. thing? MDM resources? MDM resources. I got to say, MDM, just, I, you know, I keep on expecting the, the A best. at the end. Right. Um, exactly. Now scroll down. You've got a list of MDM resources. War on pineapple? Yes, War on Pineapple is so, on there. I did not hack the site and put War on Pineapple there. It's there of its own accord. Um, <clears throat> but there are other delightful things okay. on this list. War on Pineapple. I know, I know. But um, they do say tongue in cheek. I, this is the first time I've been here. I, oh, these, I'm just looking look, at a government site that has border security, cybersecurity, and disasters in the left menu, and War on Pineapple. And I really don't know look, what. Just because these people. I've just because these people, are, just because they're fascists, doesn't mean they don't know how to have fun. Okay. Oh, I'm sure go, they do. Go back to that list of resources. <laughs> okay. There's a uh, there's something about quashing rumors. Start your own rumor control page. Where? Go, rumor control page. Oh, rumor Jesus. control page. Startup guide. Sorry. Yeah, startup. Oh. oh, so here you've got a nice handy graphic in which they effectively oh this one has a bull malinformation has a bullhorn facts yes facts facts, a bullhorn broadcasting facts that is nonetheless a terrorist threat but you want to it okay and the news (laughs) is the misinformation you did a good job not to point me to this before we were on air what the news is misinformation right wait uh, okay anyway it's kind of glorious we don't have time to go through all of this but it it, you know it's the site that keeps on giving this one has the creepy eyes the creepy eyes but scroll down a little bit okay there's another graphic well a rumor control page is how you can brown shirt your own site oh cool to control rumors which includes malinformation which are facts Uh right but presented out of context to mislead harm or manipulate context right if i remember correctly am i I doing well you're doing is this going to be on the test It is the test, darling. Um, all right, go over here to uh, this uh, myth graphic. Do you want me to click? Yeah, it? would you describe it? You don't happens? have to click it. Okay, it's all right there. Um, it is. It is a. 
It's got myth uh, with so this a. Is how do you communicate, communicate effectively f- on a rumor control page, which is again your brown shirt site dis- uh, designed to quash malinformation, which again are facts that are presented out of context so as to uh, lead people to understand the corruption of their federal authority who put out this document. Yeah. But so n- what you do is you use a um, a. Magnifying glass. That's yes, what it's a called. Magnifying. A magnifying glass is the debunking magnifying glass. Oh, yeah. Magic debunking no, magnifying not glass. Debunking. It says debunk. No. It says debunk it, right the there. The magnifying glass says. You asked me to describe it. But that's not how you're going to use it. Preemptively debunk or. There you go. Now Pre- you. Fa- wait, I haven't even said it. For those listening, it says preemptively debunk or prebunk. Yep. Prebunk. Yes, your federal authorities are now advocating on your brown shirt website that you prebunk. So as to fend off facts that are being distributed by other people. Pre-bunk. Pre-bunk. Okay. So also preemptively <clears throat> pre-bunking seems redundant. No, it, it's uh, it's pre-pre-bunking. I think. No, no, no. 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 Exactly. Preemptively, sl- comma no, no, bunk. No, no, no. Uh, yeah. Look, and if you don't do that, the reason that you would want to pre-bunk is because you might have to rebunk, right? You if might somebody, need to rebunk because the science can change. Well, if somebody debunks your bunk, then you're going to need to rebunk, and it's much better to pre-bunk in order to avoid that that awkward. Situation. I know that's what I like to do. <laughs> pre-bunk. Okay. Right? Yeah. So your question earlier, yeah, about what happens when you're right. And you say the true thing, and they say the wrong thing, and then later they have to admit that they were wrong. Right, right, right. What was the grace period? The answer is there is no grace period. You're mm-hmm. not allowed to contradict them, right. even with the facts. Right. Right? Because that's uh, malinformation uh, that has apparently not been effectively pre-bunked. Right. Now, among the things that our listeners and viewers will find on the site, which I do encourage them to look <laughs> through very carefully because really it's one jaw-dropping revelation after another, is how blatantly unconstitutional this is. Mm. This is a clear violation of the First Amendment, and it gets worse because not only are they encouraging people to brown shirt against facts, mm-hmm. right, which is... uh clearly bad, but they are also, they willingly acknowledge that what they are doing is they are partnering with um, people in the private sector, you know, tech platforms and the like. It's a private-public partnership. It's a private, it, it, you know, yes. it, it, it is fascism. Largely is innovated by uh, NIAID with Fauci at, at Oh, not innovated court. because they had historical precedent, because this, of course, is the synchronon of fascism. Not, not is the, innovated, but um, made mainstream publicized with great glory associated with it by Fauci and then head of the NIH Collins. Right. Now, all of this glorious fascism Mm -hmm. has a beautiful cherry on top. Does it? Which we are not going to show. Do we like fascistic cherries or do we not? Well, we like that they are revealing themselves. And while they are not going to goose step or put skulls on their hats, they have published a couple of graphic novels about these terrorist misinformers or malinformers. A cherry with a Nazi hat on now. I think I think that's perfect. It's probably coming. I, I don't know. But anyway, do check out their graphic novels. Um there's a graphic novel I I I've only looked at one of them. This graphic novel is about I think it's about 5G conspiracy theorists. But the hero Do you want me to go back uh, through? Here's uh, sc- scroll down to the resources. Wait, here this or not? Yeah. Real fake 
graphic novel? Yeah. What does that mean? Real? Oh, real fake is their first graphic novel. The other oh. graphic novel, though, is bug the, bites. Yeah, bug bites. Exactly. Do you want? To yeah, actually, actually, you can just this? show. You can show okay. the. So this again is a MDM, not MDMA resources. Uh, in case you were wondering. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not feeling warm and fuzzy at all. Well, show it. Um, so we're still in the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency. Resilient series, graphic novels, graphic novel, real fake, graphic novel, bug bites. Bug bites. Uh, click on it. Uh, just that? So yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, that, there you go. Uh, uh. Yep. Yeah. Bug bites. Okay, so here is... Bug bites with a Y, but bites, B-Y-T-E-S. Yeah, just scroll through a little okay. bit. Disclaimer. Yeah, so this is a graphic novel. Now, this uh, attractive white woman, her father works for a communications company and was viciously attacked by terrorists, and she... Terrorists is, engaging in malinformation, was it? Or? Well, I don't know. It's somehow okay. being distributed by the people who are exercised about malinformation. But if you keep scrolling down, you will see her... As the hero of this story, see she puts on her mask here, Where? Um, uh, bottom of the page there, oh, see? Good. Yeah. right? Um, and then anyway, outside, look at her walking alone outside with her mask on. Right, I know. And uh, anyway, there's a marvelous trailer for this uh, on YouTube, which you can click to. Uh, we're not going to do it here, but anyway, yeah, this, it's this is hard to parse in, in real time. But oh yeah, those do look like terrorists. Yeah, they really do. I mean, they are. They blew shit up. But yeah. um, but the point is, but that, that's but that I mean that's the that's thing. what it leads to. That's like. When you hear terrorist, you think people looking like that doing those sorts of things. And that just as I want to talk about before we're done here today, um, the image of what the working class are is, you know, it's factory workers. Uh, and, you know, our, our pat little images of who particular, who belongs to particular categories is helping us be controlled and is going to help, you know, if, if, that's what we all have in our mind. Oh, you're no longer showing the screen. But if, you know, um, bottle rocket hurling, what are those called? Uh, the balaclava? No. Balaclava wearing? No, no, no. The the, the explosive. I don't know what explosive. I... It's, it's a it's Oh, a uh, Molotov cocktail. Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> um, so Molotov cocktail throwing terrorists is what we all have in our heads about what terrorists look like. And then uh, everyone, frankly, everyone has just gotten slotted into at any moment that we want to, we call you a terrorist. But as soon as we do so, then this is what is going to be called up Okay, in people's heads. So let us <clears throat> get to where the rubber really meets the road here. Okay. Because everybody listening to this is going to say, yes, okay, this is crazy mm -hmm. that the federal government is declaring people, even people who are distributing facts out of what the federal government decides are context, whatever that means, yep. right, that those people are terrorists. So yes, this is very ominous stuff, but come on. Nobody's actually going to believe that somebody's saying true things on the internet as a terrorist. So in the end, as awful as this is, what does it matter? And here's the problem. Um, can you show the other <coughs> page I sent you? Okay, so this is the ACLU scroll down to want there. Zach to be showing my screen now. Uh, scroll up. Let's get rid of their fundraising <laughs> thing. Okay, this, okay, now you want Zach to show? Yes. Okay. This is the ACLU. So here's the problem. In 2012, actually in 2011, the Omnibus NDAA, National Defense Authorization Act, which is a giant omnibus bill that we yearly use to refund uh, a lot of things, the military being uh, primary among them, 
had two provisions slotted into it. This was signed uh, by Obama on the last day of the year 2011. Yes, and the last day of the year 2011 is significant, not because it was a legally significant date, but it contained these two provisions, 1021 and 1022. Okay. The uh, provisions, well, let's start with the signing. By si- So he happened to be in Hawaii on December 31st. That's where his home was. Right. It's a very, very good reason for him to be in Hawaii. However, by signing in Hawaii late in the day, that ensured, on New Year's Eve, on New Year's Eve, that ensured that the rest of the world would have moved on to New Year's Eve celebrations as what not was not paying attention. At to At least news. the rest of the U.S. Right, and arguably, these two provisions end the U.S. Constitution. Now I know how preposterous that sounds, and I agree that there are interpretations by which that would not be the case. But the problem is what these provisions do. If I remember correctly, him signing this is part of why you could not bring yourself to vote for him a second time. It is absolutely sufficient reason right there. And Mm -hmm. and I will tell you a little bit of the history. So these provisions allow indefinite detention without charge or trial Mm -hmm. of any person, including American citizens, picked up anywhere on earth for effectively engaging in terrorism or supporting those who do. So my point since this moment, since the moment that this thing was signed, was terrorism is a magic word. When the executive branch uses that term, they are declaring your rights null and void. You don't have a Second Amendment right if the federal government has the right to put a black bag over your head and haul you off and not tell your family where you've gone and not there's no writ of habeas corpus. They don't have to charge you. You don't get the right to see the evidence against you. You don't have a right to privacy. All you your thought rights. You're a citizen. No, you're a terrorist. Right. And this is the reason that you and I had a disagreement in the car is because yep. with them using the term terrorism, there are mm-hmm. now three tiers of citizens. There are fully compliant citizens who can go to whatever restaurant they want. There are uncompliant citizens who have resisted let's say, vaccines that they are mandated to take and are now forbidden to go certain places. (coughs) And then there is a third category, which is terrorists. And the problem is you have now seen what the federal government does with this definition. So as as you know, and as I think I've even made clear already here, um, uh, this is by far worse uh, than not being able to go in a restaurant because you're not vaccinated. Um, but it feels to me like it is unnecessarily confusing and will actually make it, make it hard to make the point to put these into a single category. You have, I think there's two categorization schemes here. You have, um, you know, you know, vaccinated versus unvaccinated. And then you also have, um, has been declared or has not been declared a terrorist. And maybe, you know, maybe that's not quite the right naming of the categorization, categorization scheme over here. And there is, I think I said that wrong, but, you know, maybe I have to flip that one over. Um, there is a lot of overlap between those two categorization schemes, or at least a lot of potential overlap, um, between the, of course, you're still a citizen and you're vaccinated groups in the two categorization schemes and they know you're not vaccinated and oh yeah at any moment we might declare you a terrorist group i I think i think there is likely to be uh some considerable overlap there but they're not as as it is with the two different categorization schemes they really are complete categories there's not muddiness between them you aren't members of of two things within a single categorization scheme. You know, you either are or you are not vaccinated. And of course, there is some muddiness there. You know, some some places are now not letting you in if you're not boosted. So, you know, what does fully vaccinated count for? Um, that definition will move. Um, but uh, 
the, you know, could you be uh, declared a terrorist? Well, everyone could be. So everyone's in that could you be, given their definitions of mal, miss, and disinformation. Um, but have you been is the category. And are you at risk of being is a squidgier category here. And I guess I would say this between the NDAA of 2011 and uh, and the new thing from February 7th from the terrorism branch, the government or whatever it is, um, we are in trouble. Well, we are wait we are we are in a lot of trouble as as a country as a democracy that the fact that most people the vast majority of people won't have any awareness of either of these things ndaa from end of 2011 you know so from just over 10 years ago still most people don't have any idea of it right, right? and you could any random person on the street could legitimately claim well i, I just honestly don't know about that Right, and that is that doesn't make it okay. That doesn't make it any less terrifying. But they could honestly declare, and it could be true. And I think it is true for the vast majority of people. They don't know. <clears throat> Whereas that first tier, that first categorization of two tiers that I'm describing, the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated, in most places in this country, as far as I know, although I do, I think that there are places like Florida and and Texas where there is where this is much less true. At least in the the blue cities and the coasts, you actually cannot be existing in society and not know that there are now two tiers. If you have ever been asked to show your papers, and no, they don't use that language, but if you have been asked to just show your passport, then you know, and you have no excuse. And the fact that you are pretending not to know or pretending that it's not a big deal, that paves the way for this, this NDAA followed by the February 7th declaration or whatever it was called. And that is far worse. But what I'm saying is the thing that everybody does know that there is no excuse. You can't ask someone on the streets of New York City or LA or Seattle or a whole bunch of other cities. Did you know that there, you know, that if you don't have a you know, vaccine, evidence of vaccine, you can't get into restaurants? Of course they know. Because they've shown their papers every time they have gone in. Of course they know. Well, And I, so they are complicit. I think they don't have any right not to know if it's in front of them. I think many They people, know if they are showing their passports, which they are. Well, there's a question about what no means. And look, I'm not, obviously, I'm as troubled about this as anyone. But the question is, how is the magic trick done? Yes. Right? And this is falling but into it's these, people's... But it's these two things, and they're, and they're distinct strategies, I believe. <clears throat> That's fine. Um, but to the extent that people are hearing about the NDAA 2012 for the first time here. So why do we call it the NDAA 2012? Because it was the 2012 bill in which these were inserted. Oh, so he signed it on the last day of 2011, but it's... It's, it's the 2012 oh, okay. bill. And, okay. Um, here's the thing. You should check out the New York Times from the following day, right? The New York Times has complete PDF versions. Of, from January 1st, 2012. Yes. Now, many of us... Pull it up or... Uh, you're going to have a hard time finding oh, it. But okay. um, I've been through it with a fine-tooth comb. Now, if somebody can find it in there, great. I'm all ears. But my claim is you can see the ACLU, which used to be a civil rights litigation organization. It's now become a woke monstrosity. Mm -hmm. But the ACLU will uh, validate that at least the interpretation I've given you is a credible interpretation. Mm -hmm. It's not just me and the ACLU saying that. What you will also be unlikely to know is that Chris Hedges and Noam Chomsky sued the Obama administration over this, these two provisions. 
a federal court ruled that Chris Hedges had standing to sue, that he was in fact in danger of being targeted because he had interviewed members of Al-Qaeda. <coughs> and the way these provisions are written, that could plausibly put him in danger of being indefinitely detained. So let me just, since you had me show this site before, the yep. ACLU says... The breadth of the this is and this is again from 2012, back yep. when the ACLU was doing the honorable work that the ACLU was formed to do, rather than becoming the what did you call it the woke monstrosity it has become now. The breadth of the NDAA's worldwide detention authority violates the Constitution and international law because it is not limited to people captured in an actual armed conflict as required by the laws of war. And then just <clears throat> next paragraph. Although President Obama issued a signing statement saying he had, quote, serious reservations about the NDAA's detention provisions, the statement only applies to how his administration would use them and would not affect how the law is interpreted by subsequent administrations. Yes. And the provisions, parenthetical, are inconsistent with fundamental American values. They are inconsistent with absolutely fundamental values that actually go way before the U.S. Constitution, right? Mm -hmm. Rid of habeas corpus, for example. Right. Um, <clears throat> so... <clears throat> Among other things, yeah. what we know is that a federal court ruled that this was a, a plausible interpretation enough that they were willing to hear it, right? The mm -hmm. law was suspended as a result of that. And then a three-judge federal panel reversed that and put it back into force. Mm. Now, here's the problem. An ordinary law, were it to be used against you, there would be a mechanism for dealing with it, right? There would be a court, and right. you could argue right. that this was unconstitutional. In this case, what the, what the executive branch has effectively done is it has given itself the ability to declare someone a terrorist, right. have that person disappear, not explain where they've gone until the end of hostilities. So presumably that's the moment at which on a planet of nearly 8 billion people, there are no more terrorists. It is an implausible moment. They have given themselves the ability to detain somebody without explaining where they went, without showing anybody evidence. And so... Did you say it's until hostilities cease? The end of hostilities. The end of hostilities. The end of hostilities, which is obviously an absurdity. They've declared yeah. the entire world a battlefield. They've said terrorism is the style of battle. They get to define who's a terrorist. And uh, then you can you will be returned at the end of hostilities, which couldn't possibly ever happen because there will always be terrorists. I mean, and it's... <laughs> There's no description of how the COVID pandemic ends. It's the same thing with the war on drugs. It's it's all of these things. We establish something uh, with which we then use to grant ourselves special powers, and there is no uh, termination condition. Right. So again, this is the most special of laws because yeah. it does. There's no check on it. Even if you say that's impossible that any court would listen to such a law, the question is: Well, if you disappear and your family doesn't know where you've gone, right? Because they've decided that you're a terrorist and they can detain you someplace and never tell anyone what happened. You're just a missing person. How do you get to a court and say the federal government has violated, you know, uh, my right to see the evidence against me? You don't, there's no court. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, again, you can say that's preposterous. Your interpretation is bizarre. But the point is, first of all, a federal court said that uh, Chris Hedges had standing to sue, that he was in danger of this happening to him. Mm -hmm. So it's that credible. Yeah. Right. And um, I will also point out that when the Obama administration responded, mm -hmm. their bizarre response to this suit was not we don't have those rights. That's not what it says. Their response was, we already had those rights. So in any case... It look, does point out also 
how much the disintegration of once honorable and absolutely necessary organizations like the ACLU has also paved the way for what we're living through now. Right. There were there were you know plenty of people who disagreed with particular things that the ACLU may have done, but they were consistent. They defended they defended everyone who was having their rights trampled. And now what they're doing is shutting you down if you think men can't become women. Right. That's that. That seems to be the, the you know the the reigning issue of the day for them. Well, men can't become women is malinformation. I don't. It's a fact. Ah. Uh, you see, but I don't think it's malinformation in this case because malinformation requires out of context. So is saying anything without context inherently malinformation because it needs to be their context? All I said was men can't become women. What right, context? But, right, but that's my that's what I just said. Um, so malinformation requires that it be out of context, I believe. Well, first of all, the um, opinion in this case of whether or not there is or is not context coming mm-hmm. as it does from a Miss Dis and Malinformer herself Indeed. is effectively null and void because, I mean, look, the reason that you haven't yet been hauled off to be indefinitely detained without the right to see the evidence against you is simply the good graces of the federal government, which you apparently still exist in. Indeed. Um, <clears throat> anyway, look, yeah, it's a Kafka trap, right? And it's right there on this uh, Department of Homeland Security yeah. website. Yep. Yep. <coughs> They're not hiding it. It's yep. written in garbages, but you can sort your way through it. And the answer is, look, this is actually the thing we were warned about. It just is, right? This is the tyranny. It's not ambiguous, right? This is them declaring factual information that might cause people to be upset and not trust the federal government as terrorism and then declaring that they have rights when it comes to terrorists that extend up to everything, right? Mm -hmm. Sorry, that's check and mate, right? (laughs) They just did it to us, right? You can't say facts without them declaring you a terrorist. And if you're a terrorist, they can do anything they want to you. You have no constitutional rights. You know, this isn't tyranny. How is that not tyranny? Right. You can talk about the weather. <laughs> no. Probably look, not. No. Here's what you do. If you don't want to fall under their definition of mis, dis, and malinformation, the mm-hmm. MDM of it all, if you want to avoid that, you take the thing that we used to be told, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all, and you just do the last part of that. Mm-hmm. You just don't say anything at all. Yeah. Could you please shut up already? Yeah. Just, and we're, next time, we're not going to ask nicely. That's what it is. That's what, that's what we are being told. Right. It's a shot across the bow. Now, mm-hmm. do, do I expect to be disappeared? I do not, because that would cause a problem, which is that it would reveal what they're up to. Right. But, you know, there's a reason that they are moving the chess pieces around the board this way. And we, mm-hmm. oh, of course, will be the last to know what the yeah. reason is. And I guess just, just to return to what seems like a disagreement, but I don't think really is, I think these are two sets of strategic moves that are happening in parallel. One of them is not noticed by almost anyone because almost no one is paying attention to the NDAA and the terrorism declaration from February 7th of this year. Um, But the fact that everyone who lives in um, most of the highly populated areas of the United States um, has encountered either being asked to show their papers or um, knowing that because they have no papers, they cannot go places, knows damn well what is happening. And if they are not looking that squarely uh, in the face and going, mm, this this harkens bad things, then they need to start doing that. Um, you need to at least recognize that this is exactly that serious. And <clears throat> no, what's happening in Canada is not about... Uh, people saying you should not be allowed to take a vaccine. It is about vaccine 
mandates. It is the mandates. And, you know, obviously all of this conversation about NDAA and such has been U.S. specific, but, uh, you know, as uh, Jordan Peterson's recent conversation with the Honorable Brian Peckford, who I mentioned on last week's live stream, but didn't say a whole lot about, he is, Peckford is bringing, he's one of the, he's the uh, former first minister from Newfoundland, who is the one remaining uh, living member of the of the framer of the constitutional charter from 1981 or 82 in Canada, um, is bringing a lawsuit against against Canada because what is happening there is fundamentally unconstitutional. And I see no similar thing happening here, um, but it it needs to. And frankly, what's happening with Peckford in Canada is uh, absolutely 100% supported and revealed to be supported by many Canadians by what is happening in Ottawa and also at Coots and at the uh, Ambassador Bridge. Okay. And for my part, <coughs> I will say we have to return to William Binney's formulation here. William Binney being an uh, NSA officer who um, became a whistleblower. And when interviewed... What he said was, holding his... This is when? um, Would have been a decade ago. Okay. Um, He said, we are this close to a turnkey totalitarian state, right? Mm -hmm. And the key insight here is turnkey, right? A totalitarian state that doesn't feel like a totalitarian state until they turn the key. And the point is, the fact that that state is being erected around you is on the Department of Homeland Security's website, right? Right down to their propagandistic graphic novels and their absurd invitation to pre-bunk stuff, mm-hmm. right? This is the turnkey totalitarian state putting up the last little pieces of the structure that allows them, look, you've got a set of definitions that no one who has not taken a vow of silence could possibly escape, right? You're going to be guilty of misdis or malinformation, whatever you do, and that means that any day they can decide your constitutional rights are no longer rights at all, which means that your constitutional rights are a privilege, They've rendered these things a privilege, and that's what a totalitarian state would do. So um, have they turned the key? Will they turn the key? We don't know. But we need to understand that the danger of the turnkey totalitarian state is not the turning of the key. The danger is the erection of the thing which they've done. Can we can we go back to what I was talking about, though? Sure. <laughs> With regard to Canada and, and what is happening there. So I just, I wanted to, I was trying to segue, and now the we're elegant back. pivot. Yeah, it didn't, <laughs> I, I don't know how to do this now because turnkey totalitarian state is is where we just were and it's fucking necessary, but I want to talk about something else, which right. is related, but it's really not in that tenor. Okay. okay. So what is happening with Peckford's lawsuit and at the Ambassador Bridge and at Coots and in Ottawa is critical in part because uh, it is. it seems shocking to the legacy media and the would-be elites, the elites and the would-be elites, um, because they can't imagine that the lower classes would ever rise up. And this is this is the argument, that this is actually a, effectively a class war. And it does remind me of Occupy, right? It does in, in, in many ways, that this is effectively the, the people who don't have the power to write the scripts at the moment, but who are actually making the democracy run, saying, finally, fuck this. I am not putting up with this anymore. We have lost too much. We have lost human beings. We have lost loved ones. We have lost economies. We have lost our jobs. We have lost our stores. We have lost our businesses. We have lost our friends. We have lost our agency, our ability to travel. We have lost too much. We are done. 
and frankly, the so-called knowledge workers who have lost far less, by and large, far less, because they can afford to have the people who are actually doing the real physical work of the world bring all their stuff in and assume that the supply chains will just keep functioning because uh, it's, I'm sure there are people there doing that. Um, fundamentally, neither understand nor respect the work that people who don't look like them do. Okay, so I wanted to read just a little bit from this, David Graeber's Bullshit Jobs, which um, I just, I finished. Um, and I will say by way of um, sort of disclaimer, uh, I think the numbers that I gave to you were, I find about 75% of what he, uh, of what he thinks and writes uh, <coughs> extraordinary and deep and just pointed and accurate. And there's a solid quarter, maybe it's less than that, but that I just completely disagree with. So I will just say, um, I actually assigned his essay bullshit jobs to my class. Which was the basis for this book. Yep. Um, and I think it is insightful. Mm-hmm. Um, I then encountered his understanding of adaptive evolution, and it was appallingly off. Yeah, and it's, and it's clear even in, in this book. He doesn't, he doesn't speak about it directly, but it's, it's clear that there's some, just some misunderstandings. It's, that's fine. That is, not, that is yeah. not relevant here. I just... Especially when I bring up books and I say, oh, I really recommend this. Like, I really recommend a lot of the thinking here, and especially the reveal that I'm not going to go into here, although I may later. Of you know, and when his description of bullshit jobs, I don't, I haven't, I don't remember where it is. It's different from what he calls shit jobs. What everyone knows as shit jobs, where you're doing real work that needs to be done, but you're not being paid well enough, and you're not being honored well enough for the work, right? Yeah. Bullshit jobs are jobs that shouldn't exist at all, um, and they tend to pay better. They tend to be white collar, middle class, or upper middle class, or upper class jobs, um, and uh, and you know, often no one, including the person doing them, can figure out why they exist at all. Um, but they are dependent on them for a paycheck and healthcare and all of this. Um, that that all is not exactly what I want to do here. Though I want to read just a section from near the end. Where is it? Here we go. No. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> I read this without book darts. Tragic error. Okay, here we go. I've actually marked up the book because I was missing book darts. Just a a page and a half here, okay? Oh, he's talking about um, the turn of the last century, which is now, that's not actually how you would say it anymore. It's sort of the robber baron era in... um, uh, as the industrial revolution was was ramping up, and the you know the so-called capitalists were really um, taking over and monopolizing sectors and um, creating, beginning to create the heavily tiered uh, society that we have now. So from that point forward, for the next century or so, labor organizing tended to focus on factory workers, partly simply because they were the easiest to organize, which led to the situation we have now, where simply invoking the term working class instantly draws up images of men in overalls toiling on production lines. And it's common to hear otherwise intelligent middle class intellectuals suggest that, with the decline of factory work, the working class in, say, Britain or America no longer exists as if it were actually ingeniously constructed androids that were driving their buses, trimming their hedges, installing their cables, or changing their grandparents' bedpans. In fact, there was never a time that most workers worked in factories. Even in the days of Karl Marx or Charles Dickens, working-class neighborhoods housed far more maids, bootblacks, dustmen, cooks, nurses, cabbies, schoolteachers, prostitutes, caretakers, and costermongers, I don't know what that is, um, than employees in coal mines, textile mills, or iron foundries. Are these former jobs productive? In what sense and for whom? Who produces a souffle? It is because of these ambiguities that such issues are typically brushed aside when people are arguing about value. 
but doing so blinds us to the reality that most working class labor, um, um, I don't know what's going um, actually more, much more resembles what we archetypically think of as women's work, regardless of who's doing it, being looking after people, seeing to their wants and needs, explaining, reassuring, anticipating what the boss wants or is thinking, not to mention caring for, monitoring, and maintaining plants, animals, machines, and other objects, then it involves hammering, carving, hoisting, or harvesting things. This blindness has consequences. So this is the point here. Let me give an illustration. In 2014, there was a transit strike when London's mayor threatened to close perhaps 100 London underground ticket offices, leaving only machines. This sparked an online debate among certain local Marxists about whether the workers threatened with redundancy had bullshit jobs. The logic put forward by some being that either a job produced value for capitalism, which the capitalists clearly clearly no longer thought these jobs did, or else it served a social function that would be necessary even if capitalism did not exist, which clearly these did not, since under full communism, transport would be free. Needless to say, I was drawn in. Asked to respond, I eventually referred my interlocutors to a circular put out by the strikers themselves, called Advice to Passengers Using the Future London Underground. It included lines like these. So again, this this is the language of the people who are striking um, during the underground, the London Underground's closure in 2014, transit strike. Please ensure you are thoroughly familiar with London Underground's 11 lines and 270 stations before traveling. Please ensure that there are no delays in your journey or any accidents, emergencies, incidents, or evacuations. Please do not be disabled or poor or new to London. Please avoid being too young or too old. Please do not be harassed or assaulted while traveling. Please do not lose your property or your children. Please do not require assistance in any way. Graeber continues, it apparently never having occurred to many advocates of proletarian revolution to investigate what it is that transit workers actually did. This is so important. So if we can go back to what we were talking about last week, comparing what is happening right now, which is an actual, honest, grassroots, massive protest in many places in Canada that includes real people who are saying, enough, I will not. I will not comply, and this must stop. This is anti-constitutional and anti-human. Compare that to the mostly middle-class-led protests of the summer and fall of 2020, which had these fictitious fantasy-like views of what it was that most people in the so-called lower classes were living like and were speaking on their behalf because what? They didn't believe that these people could speak for themselves. So here we have right now people actually speaking for themselves, showing up, and as I've said before, God, I wish I could be there. And of course we can't because we can't cross the border. Um, But showing up and every word that I am hearing, and I will actually be hopefully publishing a few more words from people who are actually there and seeing it in Natural Selections this week. Everything I'm hearing is how much love there is, how much gratitude, how much joy at being able to interact with people again and being able to see that people will stand up for their rights, for their freedoms, for their humanity. And what is the response from the media that glorified an actually violent set of protests that reliably turned into riots, at least here in Portland in 2020? They are slandering these people and this movement and claiming that this is an insurrection against democracy when it is exactly the opposite. Right. (laughs) And 
it is not independent of what we were just talking about because, of course, it's not. Um, these very properties, the media and the tech platforms, are being invited, in fact, strong-armed into participating in this slandering. And the point is it doesn't matter if they're right. Yeah. Right. Because malinformation is what it is. Yep. Um, <clears throat> so I want to, if possible, uh, pick up on your theme here and point people to something that is taking place in front of our eyes, where mm. I think many people, traditional uh, leftists, are finding themselves bizarrely excluded, self-excluded from their own uh, revolution that they've been waiting for. So I've been watching Chomsky, who um, I've been shaking my head at for many, many months because he embraced uh, the authoritarian nonsense, not in the strongest terms. But Mm -hmm. my sense is here you've got a guy who um, believes in a collectivist viewpoint, hearing about a collective action problem, right, the problem of vaccination, and embracing what seemed to him, I'm sure, to be the scientifically responsible collectivist uh, answer to this. Mm -hmm. And here he is now on the opposite side of this organic workers' protest that is, in fact, quite international across the entire uh, West, right? You have these protests against mandates. And so you have icons of the progressive left who are now opposite of the actual workers who are revolting from what appears to be the center right. And <clears throat> I wanted to put this in context because if you use... Fascinating, incidentally, that uh, the, the so-called working class should be identified as center right when it has forever, at least in the United States, been a, you know, the, the, the core voter base of the Democrats. Right. Now, <clears throat> my claim is that actually this does make very simple sense if you just simply track the parameters correctly, mm-hmm. right? And that what's happening is a lot of people are using a heuristic, right? Like, well, if it's on the right, it's bad, you know? Right. Um, <clears throat> but what's really yeah. happening, so I've heard, and you've heard, and we've all heard hundreds of uh, people say, you know, left and right isn't really such a useful distinction anymore. It's authoritarian versus libertarian, for example. Mm -hmm. And no doubt there are other schemes that matter, but I don't think we should give up on left and right. I think it still matters. And if you map it correctly here, you'll see what's going on. So my claim is going to be that what defines the left is that it is biased in the direction of attempting to make progress. Mm -hmm. And what defines the right is that it is... uh, resistant to attempts to make progress on the basis that unintended consequences um, are uh, an ever-present risk. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, why is it that the workers are on the right now? In part, what's happened is good governance is something that the left is favorable towards, right? This is a sympathy I have. Good governance is is an important fact of civilization functioning. Mm -hmm. The government has been captured. All of our governments have been captured by economic forces that exceed anything that our founders could have envisioned, right? They couldn't envision the internet or economies of the scale or the kind of interdependence. And so the point is those feedbacks captured the government Mm -hmm. and put it in the hands of powerful interests, which means that what could be good governance is actually not good governance at all. It's governance being used against the people 
by those who have captured it, right? And we could go into why those people would be against the public. But basically, the point is, look, anything that corporations want that's also good for the people, it's already done, right? That means what's left for us to fight over are the things that would go one way if they were in the interest of the people, and they would go the other way if they were in the interest of the corporations, which is, of course, why they have corrupted these systems, was in order right. to get things done that aren't good for the people. So and it's part of why the idea of a private-public partnership uh, puts so much fear into our hearts, because we know that what is meant by public there is not us, it's the government. Right. It's and at the point that the private-public partnership gets invoked, it is the people who are out of the loop and who are not benefiting. Right. It's... Um... It's private in public clothing, right? It's it's the wolf in sheep's clothing. Is the no, no, no. A private-public partnership is actually private corporations with actually supposedly public institutions, which are the government. Right. Um, but in and, this case, the public institutions have been captured. And so it's really the puppet masters are operating through both the private and they are operating through the public, which they captured. And I mean, I think that's just a, a different way of saying the same thing. The idea is that the public <clears throat> government is supposed to exist for the people, not the other way around. And this is a point that's been made in England with regard to the NHS and in Canada and the U.S. as well, that we are not, you know, the idea that we need to do things in order to protect, for instance, you know, the health system. Like, no, the health system exists for us. We don't exist for it. The government exists for us. We don't exist for it. But at the point that the government decides that it has its own agency, it's you know, it's 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 the it's the AI revolution that we've been dreading in different clothing. <coughs> right, and it's no accident that it's aligned with these interests that are uh, at, out of phase with what's good for the public. But in any case, what, what I want to get at is, I think I said last week that. Mm -hmm. um, yep that conservatives are always in the business of defending the gains of past liberals. That is to say, liberals push towards progress. You didn't say it quite that strongly. You said, you said maybe. Well, I don't want, maybe I shouldn't even say always yeah. because they're obviously weird phases of history. But, 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 but say it again is, without quite, quite. <clears throat> that conservatives, conservatives defend the past gains of liberals. Liberals yeah. push towards progress. Some of that progress is, um, uh, foolish to pursue because the unintended consequences will be bad. So there's mm -hmm. a tension between conservatism resisting the unintended consequences and liberalism pushing towards solution making that can be done. Mm -hmm. And what we have, the fact that civilization works at all, is essentially by definition the result of progressives having actually pushed towards progress that was possible, made lots of mistakes along the way, which presumably were largely rolled back. But we have a functional system. But in the 20th century, we got workers' rights and children's rights and women's rights and civil rights and gay rights and on and on and disabled rights and you know on and on and on and on. Those are the ones that come to mind right away. All of these rights <coughs> that I think in all of those cases um, are actively being dismantled by some branches of so-called liberalism. And it's the conservatives who are standing up and saying, wait, no, we keep those. And what they are arguing to keep is exactly what the liberals were fighting for anything from 10 to 100 years ago. Right. And even more than 100 years ago. Yeah, so sure. I would argue that the founders, our American founders, were radicals, right? They had a radical idea about good governance and they inscribed it into our founding documents. And the point is that you can see on the Department of Homeland Security's site that they do not have that same opinion of those founding documents right, that they have an antipathy for those founding documents, mm -hmm. is some force rolling back the gains of past liberals, right? And the point is, this is the natural role of conservatives, is to oppose it, 
right? And the, the real mystery here is, okay, what are the progressives doing, right? They should be pointing towards solving new problems. They should not be on the side of unmaking the solutions to problems that we've already solved. Mm -hmm. But what's happened is they have effectively been bought off. That the mm. corrupt governmental structure has offered people who are feeling shafted something. And what they've offered them is they've offered to redistribute the well-being that exists among working people at various different levels. This is why the left is targeting people, right? They have been offered, you can savage those people and you can have their stuff, mm -hmm. right? If you leave the rent-seeking elites alone, yeah, right? So yep. the left is now a regressive force, mm -hmm. right? It is not a progressive force. It is not a yeah. conservative force. It is a regressive force. And in the face of a regressive left, you would expect conservatives to defend the gains of past liberals, which is what we're seeing. And the really interesting thing is that some people see this, right? Glenn Greenwald sees it, mm -hmm. but Noam Chomsky doesn't, yeah. right? And yeah. um, that tells us something, which is that mm -hmm. you can't use these superficial labels. You have to look deeper into the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe that's it. I will say, um, I'll say one more thing. <clears throat> I found solace this week. Last week, there was a video going around, uh, that maybe I'll find and link to, um, in which the Twisted Sisters song, uh, we're not going to take it. Uh, was put to a bunch of uh, of Canadian footage of the of the Freedom Convoy, and it was it was a little bit too well done. It was very it was very compelling, and I, I've never I never listened to Twisted Sister. It just wasn't wasn't <clears throat> what I listened to, and I found myself listening this week to both Twisted Sister and Beethoven in roughly equal measure, and they were doing different things for me, um, but I found at some points when I was um, just the most overwhelmed with the tragedy <clears throat> thinking again about about mila mila's story whom i talked about last week um and shush um here we go um overwhelmed by that tragedy and by seeing seeing what was happening on the ground in canada and um and also by how how the people on the ground in Canada are being treated. Um, I played Beethoven's Ninth, blasted it myself, both in the car and then through earbuds, walking along the river on a very foggy morning. And then um, his Pathetique Sonata, which is the last piece that I played when I was a pianist. Uh, and so I found my fingers doing doing their old routines while I was walking along. And it seemed to me so odd to be finding these two, you know, nearly polar opposite musical, they're not traditions, they're just, they're instances, these three pieces of music, really. <laughs> Twisted Sisters, we're not going to take it, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony and his uh, Pathetique Sonata, um, all of which reveal to me at the moment some of what we can be as humans and also what we can be to one another. And I recommend finding some deeply meaningful music and and playing it. Yeah, I think actually, I mean, I was never a Twisted Sister yeah. fan, but um, I think uh, We're Not Gonna Take It is potentially gonna go down in history as one of the great pieces of 
pre-malinformation. Pre-malinformation. Well, it's clearly malinformative because we're not going to take it, and that's a fact. But, um, <laughs> but you know, it's not an okay fact. It's but not, the no. fact is they wrote that song before anybody had invented the concept of malinformation last week. And so it was it's, – it's pre-malinformation. And mm-hmm. uh, if you're out there, Twisted Sister, thank you. You're not going to thank Ludwig? Um, well, Ludwig is demonstrating the opposite – part of the puzzle he Mm -hmm. by not saying anything in his orchestral works except except for in the ninth right exactly Mm -hmm. um (coughs) but with that exception is that the only exception i think it might be um but in any case he most of the time Mm -hmm. was not involved in misdis or malinformation at least professionally i don't know what he said in his private life no i feel like given given the definitions of of miss mal and disinformation that have now been um so so nicely framed for us i think the emotional response that one has to um to beethoven's both his 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 piano music and his orchestral pieces uh could be construed themselves as at least one of those things uh, that an emotional response. Maybe it doesn't even take language to be engaging in malinformation. You know what's going to happen. Yeah, this is going to be the next LGB, you know, LGBTQI plus phenomenon, where as the Department of Homeland Security discovers modes of human interaction that are not covered by its definition of terrorism, it's going to add letters until everything is covered. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I, I guess we can all uh, rejoice in uh, indefinite detention, wherever that's <laughs> going to be taking place. Yes. All right. Um, maybe maybe that's where we'll stop for, for today. Um we will stop for as short a time as we can manage uh, and then come back with the Q&A. Uh, again, you can ask questions uh, for the Q&A at darkhorsesubmissions.com. Uh, if you are an awesome web developer and are interested in, um, in making yourself known to us, we are looking for one. You can email uh, your, uh, your information and what you've done to darkhorsemoderator at gmail.com. Our moderator will be doing the first pass on those. And um, as always, consider um, joining us at our Patreons, reading Hunter Gatherer's Guide, and all that, all that jazz, and, uh, and, and joining me on Natural Selections. Yeah. Anything else? Well, I think, uh, you know, go pre-bunk something. And also, be good to the ones you love, eat good food, and get outside. Be well, everyone. <laughs>